Chapter 14 Europe in the Middle Ages by Ierna Lifford Plunkett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 14 Empire and Papacy. When the Emperor Henry IV crossed the ice bound Alps on his journey of submission to Canossa, he was accompanied by a faithful knight, Frederick of Buren, whom he later rewarded for his loyalty with the hand of his daughter and the title duke of swabia frederick's son was elected emperor as conrad III, the first of the imperial line of hohenstaufen that was destined to carry on through several generations the war between empire and papacy the hohenstaufen received their name from a hill on which stood one of frederick of buren's strongest castles but they were also called wablingen after a town in their possession while the House of Bavaria, their chief rivals, was called Welsh, after an early ancestor. The feud of Wablingen and the Welsh that convulsed Germany had no less devastating an effect upon Italy, always exposed to influence from beyond the Alps, and the names of the rivals, corrupted on Italian tongues into Ghibellines and Gulfs, became party cries throughout the 13th and 14th centuries. In our last chapter, we spoke of French communes, municipalities that rebelled against their overlords, setting up a government of their own. The same process of emancipation was at work in North Italy, only that it was able to act with greater rapidity and success for a time on account of the national tendency towards separation and the vigor of town life. In France, says a 13th century Italian in surprise, only the townspeople dwell in towns. The knights and noble ladies stay on their own domains. Certainly the contrast with this native Lombardy was strong. There, each city lived like a fortified kingdom on its hilltop, or in the midst of wide plains, cut off from its neighbors by suspicion, by jealousy, by competition. In the narrow streets, noble and knight jostled shoulders perforce with merchants, students, mountebanks, and beggars. The limits of space dictated that many things in life must be shared in common, whether religious processions or plagues, and if street fighting flourished in consequence, so also did class intimacy and a sharpening of wits as well as of swords. Thus, the towns of North Italy, like flowers in a hothouse, bore fruits of civilization in advance of the world outside, whether in commerce, painting, or the art of self-government and visitors from beyond the Alps stared astonished at merchants' luxurious palaces that made the castles of their own princes seem mere barbarian strongholds. Yet this profitable independence was not won without struggles so fierce and continuous that they finally endangered the political freedom in whose interests they had originally been waged. At first, the struggle was with barbarian invaders, and here, as in the case of Rome and the Popes, it was often the local bishops who, when emperors at Constantinople ceased to govern except in name, fostered the young life of the city-states and educated their citizens in a rough knowledge of war and statecraft. With the dawn of feudalism, bishops degenerated into tyrants, and municipalities began to elect consuls and advisory councils, and under their leadership to rebel against their former benefactors, and to establish governments independent of their control. The next danger was from within. 
the cities are swayed more easily than nations and too often the communes of lombardy became the prey of private factions or of more powerful city neighbors class warred against class and city against city and out of their struggles arose leagues and counter-leagues bewildering to follow like the ever-changing colors of a kaleidoscope into this atmosphere of turmoil the quarrel between popes and holy roman emperors begun by henry the fourth and hildebrand and carried on by the hohenstaufen and the inheritors of hildebrand's ideals entered from the commune's point of view like a heaven-sent opportunity for establishing their independence in the words of a tenth-century bishop the italians always wish to have two masters that they may keep one in check by the other the cities that followed the hohenstaufen were labeled ghibelline those that upheld the pope gulf and at first and indeed throughout the contest where cruelty and treachery were concerned there was little to choose between the rivals later however the fierce imperialism of frederick i was to give to the warfare of his opponents the gulfs a patriotic aspect frederick i the barbarossa of the third crusade was a hohenstaufen on his father's side and a wolf on his mother's and it had been the hope of those who elected him emperor that like a cornerstone he would bind the two together and thus with god's blessing he might end their ancient quarrel at first it appeared this hope might be realized for the new emperor made a friend of his cousin henry the lion who as duke of bavaria and saxony was heir to the wealth ambitions frederick also by his firm and business-like rule established what the chroniclers called such unwanted peace that men seemed changed the world a different one the very heaven milder and softer unfortunately frederick who has been aptly described as an imperialist hildegram regarded the peace of germany merely as a stepping-stone to wider ambitions justinian who had ruled europe from constantinople was his model and with the help of lawyers from the university of bologna whom he handsomely rewarded for their services he revived all the old imperial claims over north italy that men had forgotten or allowed to slip into disuse the communes found that rights and privileges for which their ancestors had fought and died were trampled underfoot by an imperial official the podesta sent a supreme governor to each of the more important towns taxes were imposed and exacted to the uttermost coin by his iron hand complaint or rebellion were punished by torture and death death for freedom is the next best thing to freedom cried the men of crema flaming into a wild revolt while milan shut her gates against her podesta in an obstinate three years siege deliverance was not yet and frederick and his vast army of germans desolated the plains crema was burned her starving population turned adrift the glory of milan was reduced to a stone quarry pope alexander the third who feeling his own independence threatened by imperial demands had supported the movement for liberty was driven from rome and forced to seek refuge in france everywhere the ghibellines triumphed and it was in these black days in italy that the gulfs ceased for a time to be a faction and became patriots while the pope stood before the world the would-be savior of his land from foreign yoke 
amid the smouldering ruins of milan the lombard league sprang into life town after town weary of german oppression and insolence offered their allegiance even venice usually selfish in the safe isolation of her lagoons proffered ships and money milan was rebuilt and a new city called after the patriot pope alessandria was founded on a strategic site alessandria della paglia alessandra of the straw barbarossa nicknamed it contemptuously threatening to burn it like a heap of weeds but the new walls withstood his best engines and plague and the damp cold of winter devastated his armies encamped around them the political horizon was not indeed so fair for the emperor as in the early days of his reign germany seethed with plots in her master's absence and frederick had good reason to suspect that henry the lion was their chief author the more that he had sulkily refused to share in the last italian campaign worst of all was the news that alexander the third having negotiated alliances with the kings of france and england had returned to italy and was busy stirring up any possible seeds of revolt against frederick whom he had excommunicated in the year eleven seventy six at lagano fifteen miles from milan the armies of the league and empire met in a decisive battle barbarossa nothing doubting of his success against mere armed citizens but the spirit of the man of crema survived in the company of death a bodyguard of milanese knights sworn to protect their carroccio or sacred cart or else to fall beside it upon the carroccio was raised a figure of christ with arms outstretched beneath his feet an altar while from a lofty pole hung the banner of saint ambrose patron saint of milan when the battle opened the first terrific onslaught of german cavalry broke the milanese lines but the company of death reckless in their resolve rallied the waverers and turned defense into attack in the ensuing struggle the emperor was unhorsed and in the rumor spread through the ranks that he had been killed the germans broke and their retreat became a wild unreasoning rout that bore their commander back on its tide unable to stem the current scarcely able to save himself such was the battle of lagana worthy to be remembered not as an isolated twelfth-century victory of one set of forces against another but as one of the first very definite advances in the great campaign for liberty that is still the battle of the world at venice in the following year the hohenstaufen acknowledged his defeat and was reconciled to the church while by the perpetual peace of constance signed in eleven eighty three he granted to the communes of north italy all the royal rights regalia which they had ever had or at the moment enjoyed such rights coinage the election of officials and judges the power to raise and control armies to impose and exact taxes these are the pillars on which democracy must support our house of freedom yet since freedom to the medieval mind too often implied the right to oppress someone else or maintain a state of anarchy too much stress must not be laid on the immediate gains north italy in the coming centuries was to fall again under foreign rule her communes to abuse and betray the rights for which the company of death had risked their lives yet in spite of this taint of ignorance and treachery 
the victory of Lugano had won for Europe something infinitely precious, the knowledge that tyrants could be overthrown by the popular will and feudal armies discomfited by citizen levies. Barbarossa returned to Germany to vent his rage on Henry the Lion, to whose refusal to accompany him to Italy he considered his defeat largely due. Strong in the support of the church, to which he was now reconciled, he summoned his cousin to appear before an imperial diet and to make answer to the charge of having confiscated ecclesiastical lands and revenues for his own use. Henry merely replied to this mandate by setting fire to church property in Saxony, and in his absence the ban of outlawry was passed against him by the diet. Here again was the old Wamligan and wealth feud bursting into flame like a fire that had been but half suppressed, and cousinship went to the wall. Henry the Wealth was a son-in-law of Henry II of England and had made allies of Philip Augustus and the King of Denmark. His duchy of Bavaria in the south and of Saxony in the north covered a third of German territory. He had been winning military laurels in a struggle against the Slavs, while Frederick had been losing Lombardy. Thus, he pitted himself against the emperor, unmindful that even in Germany the hand of the political clock were moving forward and feudalism slowly giving up its dominion. To the dawning sense of German nationality, Barbarossa was something more than first among his barons. He was a king supported by the church, and Bavarians and Saxons came reluctantly to the rebel banner, while as the campaign developed, the other princes saw their fellow vassals beaten and despoiled of his lands and driven into exile without raising a finger to help him. Frederick allowed Henry the Lion to keep his Brunswick estates, but Saxony and Bavaria he divided up amongst minor vassals in order to avoid the risk of another powerful rival. Master of Germany, not merely in name but in power, he and his successors could have built up a strong monarchy, as Philip II and the House of Capet were to do in France, had not the siren voice of Italy called them to wreck on her shifting policies. Hitherto we have spoken chiefly of North Italy, but Frederick I bound Germany to her southern neighbors by fresh ties when he married his eldest son Henry in 1187 to Constance, heiress of the Norman kingdom of Naples and Sicily. By this alliance he hoped to establish a permanent Hohenstaufen counterpoise in the south to the alliance of the Pope and the Gulf towns in the north. Triumphant over the wrathful but helpless Roman see, he felt himself an emperor indeed, and having crowned his son Henry as Caesar in imitation of classic times, he rode away to the Third Crusade, still lusting after adventure and glory. The news of his death in Asia Minor swept Germany with sadness and pride. Like all his house, he had been cruel and hard, but vices like these seemed to weigh little to the medieval mind against the peace and prosperity enjoyed under his rule. Legends grew about his name, and the peasants whispered that he had not died, but slept beneath the sandstone rocks, and would wake again when his people were in danger to be their leader and protector. Henry VI, who succeeded Frederick in the empire, succeeded also to his dreams and the pitfalls that they inspired. 
one of his earliest struggles had been the finally successful attempt to secure sicily against the claims of count tancred an illegitimate grandson of the last ruler great were the sufferings of the unhappy sicilians who had adopted the norman's cause for henry having bribed or coerced the pope and north italy into a temporary alliance exacted a bitter vengeance tancred's youthful son blinded and mutilated was sent with his mother to an alpine prison to end his days while in the dungeons of palermo and apulia torture and starvation brought to his followers death as a blessed relief from pain queen constance who had been powerless to check these atrocities turned against her husband in loathing the pope excommunicated their author but henry the sixth laughed contemptuously at both it was his threefold ambition first to make the imperial crown not elective but hereditary in the house of hohenstaufen next to tempt the german princes into accepting this proposition by the incorporation of naples and sicily as a province of the empire and thirdly to rule all his dominions from his southern kingdom with the pope at rome as in the days of otto the great the chief bishop in his empire strong-willed persistent resourceful with the imagination that sees visions and the practical brain of a man of business who can realize them henry the sixth had he lived longer might have gained at least a temporary recognition of his schemes but in eleven ninety seven he died at the age of thirty-two leaving a son not yet three years old as the heir of hohenstaufen ambitions twelve months later died also queen constance having reversed as much as she could during her short widowhood of her hated husband's german policy and having bequeathed the little king of naples to the guardianship of the greatest of medieval popes and the champion of the gulfs innocent the third at the coronation of innocent third the officiating priests had used these words take the tiara and know that thou art the father of princes and kings the ruler of the world the vicar on earth of our saviour jesus christ to lothario de conti this utterance was but the confirmation of his own beliefs as unshakable as those of hildebrand as wide in their scope as the imperialism of frederick barbarossa or henry the sixth the lord jesus christ he declared has set up one rule over all things as his universal vicar and as all things in heaven earth and hell bow to the knee of christ so should all obey christ's vicar that there be one flock and one shepherd again princes have power on earth priests have also power in heaven in illustration of these views he likened the papacy to the sun the empire to the lesser light of the moon and recalled how christ in the garden of gethsemane gave to saint peter two swords by these he explained were meant temporal and spiritual power and emperors who claimed to exercise the former could only do so by the gracious consent of saint peter's successors since the lord gave peter the rule not only of the universal church but also the rule of the whole world gregory the seventh had made men wonder in the triumph of canossa whether such an ideal of the papacy could ever be realized 
but as if in proof he had been hunted from rome and died in exile it was left to innocent three to exhibit the partial fulfillment at any rate of all that his predecessor had dreamed in character no saintly bernard of clairvaux but a clear-brained practical statesman he set before himself the vision of a kingdom of god on earth after the pattern of earthly kingdoms and to this end that he sincerely believed carried with it the blessing of god for the perfecting of mankind he used every weapon in his armory sometimes his ambitions failed as when in the real glow of enthusiasm he preached the fourth crusade an expedition that ended in venice who had promised the necessary ships diverting the crusaders to stormer a coveted port on the dalmatian coast and afterwards to sack and burn constantinople in the mingled interests of commerce and pillage his anger at the news that the remonstrances of his legates had been ignored could hardly at first be extinguished not thus had been his plan of winning eastern christendom to the catholic faith and of destroying the infidel for the latin empire of constantinople set up by the victorious crusaders was obviously too weak to maintain for long its tyranny over hostile greeks or to serve as an effective barrier against the turks statesmanship however prompted him to reap what immediate harvest he could from the blunders of his faithless sons and he accepted the submission of the church in constantinople as a debt long owing to the holy see the fourth crusade in spite of the extension of rome's ecclesiastical influence must be reckoned as one of innocent's failures in the west on the other hand the atmosphere created by his personality and statecraft made the name of the lord innocent one of weight and fear to his enemies of rejoicing to his friends when upholding queen ingeborg he had stood as a moral force bending philip augustus to his will by his convinced determination and this same tenacity of belief and purpose added to the purity of his personal life and the charm of his manner won him the affection of the roman populace usually so hostile to its vicars medieval popes were as a rule respected less in italy than beyond the alps and least of all in their own capital where too many spiritual gifts had been seen debased from material ends and papal acts were often at variance with pious professions during the pontificate of innocent the third however we find the prefect the imperial representative at rome except investiture at his hands the senator chief magistrate of the municipality do him homage and through this double influence his control became paramount over the city government in naples and sicily he was able to continue the policy of constance drive out rebellious german barons struggle against the saracens in sicily and develop the education of his ward the young king of naples as the spiritual son who should one day do battle for his ideals god has not spared the rod he wrote to frederick the second he has taken away your father and mother yet he has given you a worthier father his victor and a better mother the church in lombardy where the gulfs naturally turned to him as their champion the papal sway was comparatively smooth for the cruelty of barbarossa and his son henry the sixth 
had aroused hatred and suspicion on all sides thus innocent found himself more nearly the master of italy than any pope before his time and from italy his patronage and alliances extended like a web all over europe philip augustus of france trying to ignore and defy him found in the end the anger he aroused worth placating john of england changed his petulant defiance into submission and an oath of homage portugal accepted him as her suzerain rival kings of hungary sought his arbitration even distant armenia sent ambassadors to ask his protection his most impressive triumph however was secured in his dealings with the empire henry the sixth had wished as we have seen to make the imperial crown hereditary but no german prince would have been willing to accept the child he left as heir to his troubled fortunes the choice of the electors therefore wavered between another hohenstaufen philip of swabia brother of the late emperor and the wealth otto son of henry the lion the votes were divided and each claimant afterwards declared himself the legally elected emperor one with the title philip the second the other with that of otto the fourth for ten long years germany was devastated by their civil wars otto as a gulf representative gained the support of innocent the great to whom the claimants at one time appealed for arbitration but philip refused to submit to this judgment in favor of his rival believing that he himself had behind him the majority of the german princes and of the official class inasmuch declared innocent as our dearest son in christ otto is industrious prudent discreet strong and constant himself devoted to the church we by the authority of st peter receive him as king and will in due course bestow on him the imperial crown here was papal triumph rome no longer patronized but patron with otto on his knees gracefully promising submission and homage with every kind of ecclesiastical privilege to complete the picture yet circumstances changed traditions as well as people and when the death of philip of swabia left him master of germany the gulf otto found his old ideas impracticable he became a ghibelline in policy announced his imperial rights over lombardy even over some of the towns belonging to the pope while he loudly announced his intention of driving the young hohenstaufen from naples innocent's wrath at this volteface was unbounded otto no longer his dearest son in christ was now a perjurer and schismatic whose excommunication and deposition were the immediate duty of rome neither however was likely to be effective unless the pope could provide italy and germany with a rival whose dazzling claims backed by papal support would win him followers wherever he went in this crisis innocent found his champion in the hohenstaufen prince denounced by otto a lad educated almost since infancy in the tenets and ambitions of the catholic church frederick king of naples and sicily was an interesting development of hereditary tastes and the atmosphere in which he had been reared to the southern blood that leaped in his veins he owed perhaps his hot passions his sensuous appreciation of luxury and art his almost saracen contempt for women 
save as toys to amuse his leisure hours. From the Hohenstaufen he imbibed strength, ambition, and cruelty. From the Norman strain on his mother's side his reckless daring and treachery. With the ordinary education of a prince of his day, Frederick's qualities and vices might have merely produced a warrior king of rather exceptional ability, but thanks to the papal tutors provided by Innocent, the boy's naturally quick brain and imagination were stirred by a course of studies far superior to what his lay contemporaries usually enjoyed, and he emerged in manhood with a real love of books and culture, and with an eager curiosity on such subjects as philosophy and natural history. In the royal charter by which he founded the University of Naples, Frederick expressed his intention that here those within the kingdom who had a hunger for knowledge might find the food for which they were yearning. In his court at Palermo, if from one aspect dissolute and luxurious, was also a center for men of wit and knowledge against whose brains the king loved to test his own quips and theories. When Frederick reached Rome on Innocent's hasty summons to unsheathe the sword of the Hohenstaufen against Otto, much of his character was as yet a closed book even to himself. Impulsive and eager like any ambitious youth of seventeen called the high adventure, and with a genuine respect for his guardian, he did not look far ahead, but kneeling at the Pope's feet, pledged his homage and faith before he rode away northward to win an empire. In Germany, a considerable following awaited him, lifelong opponents of Otto on account of his wealth blood, and others who hated him for his churlish manners. Amongst them, Frederick scattered lavishly some money he had borrowed from the Republic of Genoa, and this generosity, combined with his Hohenstaufen strength and daring, increased the happy reputation that papal legates had already established for him in many quarters. In December 1212, he was crowned in Mainz. The civil war followed, embittered by papal and imperial leagues, but in 1214, Otto IV was decisively beaten at Boulogne in the struggle with Philip II of France that we have already described, and the tide which had been previously turning against him now swept away his few friends and last hopes. With the entry of his young rival into the Rhineland provinces, the dual empire ceased to exist, and Frederick was crowned in Aachen, the old capital of Charlemagne. Innocent III had now reached the summit of his power, for his pupil and protege sat on the throne of Rome's imperial rival. In the same year, he called a council to the Lateran Palace, the fourth gathering of its kind, to consider the two objects dearest to his heart, the deliverance of the Holy Land and the reform of the Church Universal. Crusading zeal, however, he could not rouse again. To cleanse and spiritualize the life of the Church in the 13th century was to prove a task beyond men of finer fiber than innocent. But, as an illustration of his immense influence over Europe, the Fourth Lateran Council, with its dense submissive crowds, representative of every land and class, was a fitting end to his pontificate. In the year 1216, Innocent III died. The most powerful of all popes, a striking personality whose life by kindly fate did not outlast his glory, in estimating Innocent's ability as a statesman, 
there stands one blot against his record in the clear light shed by after events namely the short-sighted policy that once again united the kingdom of naples to the empire and laid the papacy between the upper millstone of lombardy and the nether millstone of southern italy excuse may be found in innocent's desperate need of a champion with otto the fourth threatening his papal heritage added to his belief in the promises of the young hohenstaufen to remain his faithful vassal he also tried to safeguard the future by making frederick publicly declare that he would bequeath naples to a son who would not stand for election to the empire but in trusting the word of the young emperor he had sown a wind from which his successors were to reap a whirlwind the new emperor was just twenty years old when innocent died either to please his guardian or moved by a momentary religious impulse he had taken the cross immediately after his entry into Aachen. but the years passed and he showed himself in no haste to fulfil the vow much of his time was spent in his loved southern kingdom where he completed innocent's work of reducing to submission the saracen population that had remained in sicily since the mohammedan conquest as infidels the papacy had regarded these arabs with special hatred but frederick once assured that they were so weak that they would be in future dependent on his favor began protecting instead of persecuting them he also encouraged their silk industry by building them a town lucera on the neapolitan coast where they could pursue it undisturbed while he enrolled large numbers of arab warriors in his army and used them to enforce his will on the feudal aristocracy descendants of the norman adventurers of the eleventh century so successful was he in playing off one section of his subjects against another opposing or aiding the different classes as policy dictated that he soon reigned as an autocrat in naples many of the noble strongholds were leveled with the dust their claim to wage private war was forbidden on pain of death cases were taken away from their law courts and those of the feudal bishops to be decided by royal justices towns were deprived of their freedom to elect their own magistrates while crown officials sent from palermo administered the laws and imposed and collected taxes on the whole these changes were beneficial for private privileges had been greatly abused in naples and frederick like philip augustus or the angevin henry the second had the instinct and ability to govern well when he chose nevertheless the subjugation of the kingdom as naples was usually called in italy was of course received with loud outcries of anger by neapolitan barons and churchmen who hastened to inform the holy see that their ruler loved infidels better than christians and kept an eastern harem at palermo honorius the third the new pope accepted such reports and scandals with dismay he had himself noted uneasily frederick's absorption in italian affairs and frequently reminded him of his crusading vow being gentle and slow to commit himself to any decided step however it was not till the hohenstaufen deliberately broke his promise to innocent third and had his eldest son henry crowned king of the romans as well as king of naples thus acknowledging him as his heir both in germany and italy that honorius's wrath flamed into a threat of excommunication 
For a time it spread no farther, since Frederick was lavish in explanations and in promises of friendship that he had no intention of fulfilling, while the old pope chose to believe him rather than risk an actual conflagration. At last, however, the patient Honorius died. Gregory the Ninth, the new pope, who was of the family of Innocent and shared to the full his views of the worldwide supremacy of the church. An old man of austere life and feverish energy, he regarded Frederick as a monster of ingratitude and became almost hysterical and quite unreasonable in his efforts to humble him. Goaded by his constant reproaches and threats, the emperor began to make leisurely preparations at Brindisi for his crusade, but when he at last started, an epidemic of fever, to which he himself fell a victim, forced him to put back to port. Gregory, refusing to believe in this illness as anything more than an excuse for delay, at once excommunicated him, and then, though Frederick set sail as soon as he was well enough, repeated the ban, giving as his reason that the emperor had not waited to receive his pardon for the first offense, like an obedient son of the church. A crusader, excommunicated by the head of Christendom, first for not fulfilling his vow and then for fulfilling it, this was a degrading and ridiculous sight, and Frederick, now definitely hostile to Rome, continued on his way, determined with obstinate pride that, if not for the Catholic faith, then for his own glory he would carry out his purpose. The Templars refused him support. The Christians still left in the neighborhood of Acre helped him half-heartedly or stood aloof, frightened by the warnings of their priests but Frederick achieved more without the Pope's aid than other crusaders had done of late years with his blessing. By force of arms, and still more by skillful negotiations, he obtained from the Sultan possession of Jerusalem, and entering in triumph, placed on his head the crown of the Latin kings. His vow fulfilled, he sailed for Sicily, and the Pope, whose troops in Frederick's absence had been harrying the kingdom, hastily patched up a peace at San Germano. I will remember the past no more, cried Frederick, but anger burned within him at papal hostility. The emperor has come to me with the zeal of a devoted son, said Gregory, but there was no trust in his heart that corresponded to his words. A Hohenstaufen, who had taken Jerusalem unaided, supreme in Naples, supreme also in Germany, stretching out his imperial scepter over Lombardy. What Pope, who believed that the future of the Church rested on the temporal independence of Rome, could sleep tranquilly in his bed with such a vision? It is not possible to describe here in any detail the renewed war between empire and papacy that followed the inevitable breakdown of the Treaty of San Germano. Very bitter was the spirit in which it was waged on both sides. Frederick, whatever his intentions, could not forget that it was the father of Christendom who had tried to ruin his crusade. The remembrance did not so much shake his faith as waken him an exasperated sense of injustice that rendered him deaf to those who counseled compromise. Unable to rid himself wholly of the fear of papal censure, he yet saw clearly enough that the sin for which the popes relentlessly pursued him 
was not his cruelty nor profligacy nor even his toleration of saracens but the fact that he was king of naples as well as holy roman emperor to a man of frederick's haughty temperament there was but one absolution he could win for his crime so to master rome that he could squeeze her judgments to his fancy like a sponge between his strong fingers italy is my heritage he wrote to the pope and all the world knows it in his passionate determination to obtain this heritage statesmanship was thrown to the winds he had planned a strong monarchy in naples but in germany he undermined the foundations of royal authority that barbarossa and henry the sixth had begun to lay let every prince he declared enjoy in peace according to the improved custom of his land his immunities jurisdictions counties and hundreds both of those which belonged to him in full right and those which had been granted out to him in fife the italian hohenstaufen only sought from his northern kingdom whose good government he thus carelessly sacrificed to feudal anarchy sufficient money to pay for his campaigns beyond the alps and leisure to pursue them in the words of a modern historian he bartered his german kingship for an immediate triumph over his hated foe at first victory rewarded his energy and skill his hereditary enemy the lombard league had tampered with the loyalty of his eldest son henry king of the romans whom he had left to rule in germany but frederick discovered the plot in time and deposed and imprisoned the culprit in despair at the prospect of lifelong imprisonment held out to him the young henry flung himself to his death down a steep mountainside and conrad his younger brother a boy of eight was crowned in his stead in north italy frederick pursued the policy not so much of trampling down resistance with his german levies like his grandfather barbarossa as of employing italian nobles at the ghibelline party whom he supported and financed that they might fight his battles and make his wrath terrible in the popular hearing such were ecoline de romano and his brother alberigo lords of verona and vicenza whose tyranny and cruelty seemed abnormal even in their day the devil's own servant ecolin is called by a contemporary who describes how he slaughtered in cold blood eleven thousand prisoners Quote, i believe in truth no such wicked man has been from the beginning of the world unto our own days for all men trembled at him as a rush quivers in the water and he who lived to-day was not sure the morrow the father would seek out and slay his son and the son his father or any of his kinsfolk to please this man alberigo hanged twenty-five of the greatest men of treviso who had in no wise offended or harmed him and as the prisoners struggled in their death agonies he thrust among their feet their wives daughters and sisters whom he afterwards turned adrift half naked to seek protection where they might Revenge, when this limb of Satan fell into the hands of his enemies, was of a brutality to match. For Alberigo and his young sons were torn in pieces by an infuriated mob. His wife and daughters burned alive, though they were noble maidens and the fairest in the world and guiltless. Passions ran too deep between Gilf and Ghibelline to distinguish innocency or to spare youth or sex. 
cruelty the most despicable and infectious of vices was the very atmosphere of the thirteenth century desecrating what has been described from another aspect as an age of high ideals and heroic lives it is remarked with some surprise by contemporaries that frederick the second could pardon a joke at his own expense but on the other hand we read of his cutting off the thumb of a notary who had misspelt his name and callously ordering one of his servants by way of amusement to dive and dive again into the sea after a golden cup until from sheer exhaustion he reappeared no more at cortanova the lombard league was decisively beaten by the imperial forces the carroccio of milan seized and burned frederick flushed with success now declared that not only north but also middle italy was subject to his allegiance and replied to a new excommunication by advancing into romana and besieging some of the papal towns gregory worn out by grief and fury died as his enemy approached the gates of rome and his immediate successor unnerved by excitement followed him to the grave before the cardinals who had elected him could proceed to his consecration innocent the fourth who now ascended the papal throne had of old shown some sympathy to the imperial cause but frederick when he heard of his election is reported to have said i have lost a friend for no pope can be a ghibelline with the example of otto the fourth in his mind he should have added that no emperor could remain a gulf frederick had indeed gained an inveterate enemy more dangerous than gregory the ninth because more politic and discreet from lyon whither he had fled innocent the fourth maintained unflinchingly the claims he could no longer set forth in rome declaring the victorious emperor excommunicate and deposed has the pope disposed me asked frederick scornfully when the news came bring me my crowns that i may see what he has taken away one after another he placed on his head the seven crowns his attendants brought him the royal crown of germany an imperial diadem of rome the iron circlet of lombardy the crowns of jerusalem of burgundy of sardinia and of sicily and naples see he said are they not all mine still and none shall take them from me without a struggle so the hideous war between wealth and wobblingen between gulf and ghibelline continued and germany and italy were deluged with blood and flames after the emperor frederick was put under the ban says a german chronicler the robbers rejoiced over the spoils then were the ploughshares beaten into swords and reaping hooks into lances no one went anywhere without flint and steel to set on fire whatever he could kindle the ebb from the high water mark of the emperor's fortunes was marked by the revolt and successful resistance of the gulf city of parma to the imperial forces a defeat frederick might have wiped out in fresh victory had not his own health begun to fail in twelve fifty he died still excommunicate snatched away to hell according to his enemies not dead according to many who from love or hate believed his personality of more than human endurance yet frederick whether for good or ill had perished and with him his imperial ambitions popes might tremble at other nightmares 
but the supremacy of the holy roman empire over italy would no more haunt their dreams for many years naples also to whose conquest and government he had devoted the best of his brain and judgment was torn from his heirs and presented by his papal enemy to the french house of anjou struggling against these usurpers the last of the royal line of hohenstaufen conradin son of conrad a lad of fifteen gallant and reckless as his grandfather was captured in battle and beheaded frederick had destroyed in germany and built on sand elsewhere and all of his conquests and achievements only their memory was to dazzle after generations stupor et gloria mundi he was called by those who knew him and in spite of his ultimate failure and his vices he still remains a wonder of the world set above enemies and friends by his personality the glory of his courage his audacity and his strength of purpose end of chapter fourteen